Okay, everybody at Daniel chapter 12. All right, on your study sheet. Last time we covered some of the signs of the times at the end of the, of the church age. Of the church age found in Matthew 24. We discussed how these signs were not anything new, but only the beginning of sorrows, or as we talked about last week, like birth pangs. So they've been there, but they're going to grow in frequency and intensity until Jesus Christ returns. So this time, tonight, we'll see some signs that are new to our time in Laodicea, as well as another increase in the evidence that we are living in the last days. We must be certain that we are wise, wise to these signs, and that we exercise good discernment concerning them. We have to exercise good discernment concerning them. So Daniel chapter, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Again, uh, God is speaking to Daniel. And He said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. We have to be wise to these signs. He told Daniel, seal up the book, Daniel, because the time is not now. We talked about this last week. But he told Daniel, the time is not now. The time is for the future. Seal this book up. Because at the end, the wicked, they're going to do wickedly and they're not going to understand what's going on. But the wise, the wise will understand. And the only way we get that wisdom and that understanding is through the Word of God. That's why the world around us, they don't understand the chaos. They don't understand the turmoil. They don't understand why the world is the way it is. But Bible believers, those who will go to the Bible and see what did God have to say about this, we can be wise and we can understand what's going on. And you know, just a couple of things before we even really get into the signs of the times tonight, you know, it, it was mind-blowing to me that last week, one of the signs that we talked about was earthquakes, right? And earthquakes in diverse places. And there was a massive earthquake in Alaska over, the, over this seven-day period. Crazy. A big one, too. A bad one. Was it that same day? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, he said it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. So we had that one hit in Alaska, and it was another, it was a big one. It fell into that, you know, like 7.0 category. And then something I literally just saw tonight while I was here at the church, um, we had mentioned it, who knows, we've talked about so much in here, but, you know, we talked about um, being able to edit DNA. You guys remember this coming up at all? That, that they have the technology now to edit DNA. It's called CRISPR. I literally just saw an article tonight that there are now two newborn babies on planet Earth that have had their DNA edited. So my question becomes, how freaky is this for you guys? That we can now get into the human body and we can edit the very DNA of humans and now there are two human beings, I suppose, I hope that they're still human. I don't, I don't know what God has to say on this matter. Too. And a lot of the scientific community is in a huge uproar about how unethical this is. But there are others who knew, well, this had to come. We've had the technology. Eventually it had to step into the, to the realm of humans. Well, now they're out there. So how much faster are we speeding up in this crazy world where we can alter the DNA of human beings? This is a scary time. Very scary time. 
So those were just a couple of things before we even get into the things tonight that are going on in the world right now. So signs of the times, signs of the times. Still in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel 12 verse 4. He says, but thou, O Daniel, we looked at this uh, last week, week before, but again, we're going to hit it. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. So one of the signs of the times, and this one would be new to Laodicea. And you're going to see that as we kind of work through the points. This would be new to our time in history, to where we're living right now. There would be an increase in the ability to travel. People will be running to and fro and share information because he says knowledge will be increased. Knowledge will be increased. So for the uh, increase in the ability to travel, Claudia actually found this article today also that... Um, Virgin Airlines, they're investing in crazy fast planes. Crazy fast planes. Right now, currently, the fastest flight that you can get from New York to London this is the fastest one, which is approximately almost 3,500 miles. 3,500 miles. You guys have any guess how long it would take? I mean, you should probably, you probably have a fair idea. Pretty close. New York to London, seven. That's the fastest flight you can take. And what, what did you say the, um, the standard flight is? That's a fast one. Eight to 10 hours is like pretty much a standard flight unless you wanna pay more, take a faster plane, blah, blah, blah. Well, currently there's a company called Boom that's working on supersonic planes. Have you guys heard of Concords? The Concorde jets? These are gonna blow Concords out of the water. Because now, once these planes come about, you can get from New York to London in three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. You can get from San Francisco to Tokyo in four hours and some change. That's the other side of the world, guys. It's the other side of the world in four and a half hours. Oh, people will be running to and fro, all right? And that's the promise behind Boom, a supersonic plane startup whose brain trust includes alumni... Uh, of NASA, Lockheed Martin, and Boeing. Like many startups, they're in their early stages. Um, and even in their, their beta mode, it has shown promise. So Virgin America, they're signing a letter of intent to buy 10 of these planes um, once they're ready for commercial production. And the, uh, the starting ticket guesstimate is $5,000 a ticket. And uh, what was the last point here? Oh. And these planes, they're supposed to be up and running in commercial flights by 2023. Oh, people will be running to and fro about the earth. And your first point there, even under this, prior to the Industrial Revolution, few individuals traveled beyond their own communities. And until recently, this is why, horse, foot, and boat were the only modes of transportation. Right? You weren't traveling very far. When you did, I mean, it was a serious endeavor. Right? We just had Thanksgiving and we, we heard on Sunday morning about the pilgrims and, and the voyage they had to take and it took months to get over here. Months to get from there just to the, to the East Coast. And now we're talking three and a half hours to get over there. Three and a half hours. They were closer to three and a half months to get over here. Yet today... We travel by car, bus, plane, train, subway, etc. Millions and millions are running to and fro, just as Daniel prophesied, about 2,500 
years ago this was written, that people would be running to and fro. You know, I think about it every time I fly now too. When we get above the clouds, do you realize that nobody saw above the clouds until within the last 100 years? Less than 100 years? Nobody saw the top side of the clouds. But we so take it for granted. You know, Daniel said, people will be running to and fro all about the earth. And we're running to and fro all about the earth at very, very fast speeds. Not only that, knowledge. Knowledge shall be increased. And remember, this was written in about the 500s B.C. Daniel was in the 500s B.C. He says, knowledge shall be increased. Check out these numbers. Knowledge doubled. What people know doubled between 100 B.C. and 1700 A.D. It took 1800 years for knowledge to double. Then again, from 1700 to 1900, it doubled. So we went from 1800 years to 200 years. Knowledge doubled again. Then from 1900 to 1950, it doubled again. So now we're down to 50. Then from 1950 to 1970, 20 years. From 1970 to 1980, 10 years. And then from 1980 to 1988, only eight years, it doubled again. And now, now it doubles every 12 months. Knowledge, the things that we know, doubles every 12 months. And in the near future, experts claim it will double every 12 hours. Think about it. Right now, uh, let me just say, back in uh, 1700, if you wanted to know what was going on in China and you lived here, how would you find that out? Yeah, exactly. You couldn't, short of getting on a boat, spending you know, a year trying to get to China. And then you would have to go there to find out what was going on in China, right? How about today? What if you want to know what's going on in China? What do you got to do? There you go. Grab your phone. You don't even need a computer. You just grab your phone. Oh, knowledge is increased, all right. And I don't think it's for the better. But Daniel prophesied this 2,500 years ago. This sign right here, this has only been possible, by and large, within the lifetime of people that are on the planet today. That's insane. That is insane. Think about when he wrote this. What was Daniel thinking? Daniel didn't even know about us over here, the United States. You know, anything outside of where he lived. And he said, hey, people are going to be running to and fro and knowledge is going to be increased. Do you think they had any, the, the beginnings to even be able to fathom what we have today and how we live today? It's insane. So this sign of the times, this is pretty new. This is pretty new. You rewind 500 years, this still wouldn't have made sense. And it was written over 2,000 years ago. You rewind 100 years, this didn't make sense still. And now the things that we can do, the things that we know, we're editing DNA. Oh, knowledge is increased, all right, and it's not that good. Your next point, another one that Jesus said. Go ahead and turn to Luke 17. Turn to Luke 17. So we've seen that there is definitely an increase in the ability to travel and to share information. So your next sign, Luke 17. As it was in the days of who? Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, or Noe, as we'll see here. 
but Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, Luke 17, 26 and 27. And this is Jesus, basically. Uh, this, this chapter lines up with Matthew 24, which we looked at last week with all the signs where the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of the end of the world and of your coming and all these things? And Jesus goes through the things we looked at last week. This chapter lines up with that chapter. The reason we're sticking with this one is because this one mentions Noah and Lot, where the Matthew uh, 24 only mentions Noah. So we're going to stick in Luke because it mentions both of them. So as it was in the days of Noah, Luke 17, 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus says, before he comes back, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. So, the days of Noah. Um, you may want to hold your place in Luke 17. We will be coming back, but let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. As it was in the days of Noah. Genesis 6. We'll go ahead and read through 1 through 13 and then go back and look at these. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So the days of Noah. The first thing we see is there's an increase in spiritual activity in the world. An increase in spiritual activity. Right? It's, it's definitely contested out there. There's a huge debate. I've read, I think, every side of the argument I could find anyway. But what you see here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and he took them wives. If you guys want to sit and debate it later, that's fine. We're going to move through this tonight. But this in fact is fallen angels reproducing with human women making an abomination. The only other real major argument that you're, you're going to find out there if you want to look into this is they say the sons of God are in fact the sons of Seth, the godly line. If you read the previous chapters in Genesis, that at, when Adam and Eve had Seth, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So they say that these sons of God are actually 
the godly line, the godly sons of Seth, and that these daughters of men are the ungodly line of Cain. And that because of their intermarriages, God wiped out the earth. So I personally don't see it. Uh, we have believers and unbelievers getting married all the time today and reproducing children. And nowhere do they, does it say that they're uh, you know, producing giants, mighty men of renown of old. And uh, God wiped out the whole earth over what was happening here. So I think it was a little more than just lost women or lost men and, and, um, and saved women or vice versa. I think there's a little more to it than that. Or God wouldn't have wiped out the entire planet of people other than the eight that got on the ark. So, there will be an increase in spiritual activity in the world, just like it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be when Jesus Christ returns. There were also giants in, you know what it says? Those days. Those days. When you guys read those days in the Bible, do you know what your ears need to perk up for? Second coming, tribulation context, those days. When you read it in the Bible, just know there's your literal, historical application of this, but there's also a doctrinal application. And it's interesting, when you look up the phrase, those days, and you see throughout the Old Testament, the things you'll read, how they begin to line up with things during the tribulation period and the things of the end. Those days, it happened once, and that's God's way of telling you, that's one of the landmarks in your King James Bible, that this happened, and it's going to happen again. That's what he's saying. It's uncanny how much you can read through and see, man, the things I'm reading here, they line right up with the end. Those days, very important landmark in your Bible. So there were giants in those days. What's coming? I think it's coming back. Just like they were making these abomination offspring and there were giants, I think it's coming back. We may not see it in our life. He may call us out before that, but oh, it's coming back. Also, wickedness. Wickedness was great in the earth. You guys feel like we're getting there? Now? Yeah? Wickedness is great in the earth. Truth has fallen in the streets. Talked about this last week. If you want to have good morals and character, you're mocked, you're ridiculed. And if you don't fall in line with the religion of today, which is I do what I want when I want, then you're just a hater. So wickedness, oh, it's definitely great. Definitely great in the earth today. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Every imagination of man heart was evil continually. That's where we're headed. We're not quite there yet. Not only that, the earth was corrupt and violent. Corrupt and violent. You think it's very violent in the world today? You're not allowed to disagree with someone without it turning into a huge fight. You're not allowed to, to what they call peaceful protests now. People are getting pulled out of their cars. People are getting assaulted. People are getting pepper sprayed. Because they disagree with each other. There's, there's no conversation left anymore. It's corrupt and it's violent. And people can't handle somebody not lining up with what they believe, so they take it to violence. It's insanity. Insanity. But that's where we are. 
And fortunately, just like the church, just like the church, Noah found grace. Noah found God's grace. And it says there in Genesis 6 that he was just. He was perfect. That he walked with God. He was just perfect and walked with God. You notice too that the way it said perfect, it said he was a just man and perfect in his generations. Perfect in his generations. As if to almost say his family line didn't get entangled in this demonic act that was going on with angelic beings and human, human women, that his family wasn't involved because his generations, they were perfect. They were still pure. So God saved him. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. A couple more things about Noah. A couple of things that maybe we should ask ourselves. Not that I'm thinking you need to prepare an ark since God did promise that he wouldn't do it by water ever again. But... God prepared an ark. God prepared an ark for us. Because what's an ark? The ark, a picture of. Salvation in one boat. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that ark. He's that ark. He says, you get in and you'll be saved from the wrath that's about to come. You get in this boat. God prepared the ark. We don't need to prepare an ark. However, the same points apply. Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. He moved with fear. He moved with fear when God warned him of what was coming. How fr- not how frequently... When do you think the last time was that you moved with fear because of something God said to you? You moved with a reverential fear of God. With a holy fear of God. Because He spoke to you. And you knew it was Him. And you knew what you had to do. When was the last time you moved with fear? And how, oh, how does this apply to the lost? That they need to be moved with fear because just like in the days of Noah... So shall it be, right? What was coming in the days of Noah? What was coming? Judgment. What's coming now? Judgment. Not by water this time, though. By fire. Judgment by fire this time. Oh, lost people definitely need to be moved with fear because God is warning. Judgment is coming. we got to be that mouthpiece. We've been called to this ministry of what? Reconciliation. Reconciling the world back to God through Jesus Christ. The pure, spotless Lamb. They need to be moved with fear. Well, they can't be afraid if they don't know. We need to speak up. We need to start talking. We need to be moved with fear because people are perishing every day and headed right for hell. And He prepared an ark to the saving of His house. That's what God did. God prepared the ark. That ark got nailed to a cross with your sin. All you got to do is get in the boat. Just get in the boat. Call out to Jesus Christ to save you. That's what Noah did. Just like it was in the days of Noah, we still have that ark today. Now go ahead and look at 2 Peter. Just a little bit to your right. 2 Peter chapter 2. For a little more on what it said about Noah. 2 Peter 2 verse 5. A little more on Noah. 
It says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. You know what Noah was? He was a preacher of righteousness when it wasn't very popular. Right? I mean, it's estimated that there were, I believe, billions of people on the planet at the time of Noah. At the time of Noah. Billions. Eight got on the boat. Eight heard the message of God and listened and got on the boat. It was not a very popular message, just like today. Not a very popular message. But if you spend the rest of your life being rejected by people that you proclaim Jesus to, and only one gets saved, was it all worth it? Was it worth the rejection? Was it worth feeling like a fool? Absolutely it was. Absolutely. What is a soul worth? everything. There's no money you can put on it. There's no shame you can put on it. There's no fear you can put on it. People are going to hell. If you believe this book, you believe people are dying and going to eternal torment. Eternal torment where it doesn't end. Are we willing to feel foolish? To feel rejected? To feel despised for one over your whole life? Just one. There's joy, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. One. Man, God's been good to us and He's told us to go do the same. We got to do it. We got to speak up. We can't be quiet. We can't be quiet. Not anymore because the world is pushing us or at least attempting to shove us and push us into this corner where we're too afraid to open our mouths and we forget Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter what the world says and it doesn't matter what the world does. we got to press on. we got to do this. As it was in the days of Noah, man, if you don't think we're, we're living in the beginning stages of that now, wake up. Wake up. And with our next example, you're going to see the same thing. Go ahead back to Luke 17. Woo! Luke 17. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, and you know who's next, as it was in the days of Lot. As it was in the days of Lot. Luke 17, verses 28 and 29. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. That is more like what the end is going to be this time. You've got the two pictures. You've got the first time God had a, a judgment on the earth and He did it by water. And when He did it by water, He said, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky and that's going to be my sign to you that I will never do this again. But Lot, Lot's day, He rained down fire and brimstone and that is what it's going to be like the second time around. A judgment of fire. That the earth itself will be renovated by fire. Peter even says that the elements themselves shall melt with a fervent heat. The elements themselves, everything done by fire. That is the days of Lot. So the days of Lot, we're not going to turn to, to Genesis 19 um, just for time purposes. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the days of Lot. If you want to, just go read. You can read it on your own time. 
It's Genesis 19, 1 through 11 there. But the main sin, open homosexuality, was the main sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the main sin. That's, that's the account that you read there. So depraved, they were trying to rape angels. They're trying to rape angels at this time. Okay? And we do take a stance that homosexuality is in fact sin. But is it a worse sin than murder? How about, is it worse than stealing? Is it worse than lying? No. Sin is sin is sin. We don't stand up here saying that we're better than anyone else. We don't stand up here as if to say, well, sorry, you're gay. There's nothing we can do about it. You're just damned. No. It's a sin, and we love you enough to tell you it's a sin. And God has something so much better for you. Just like my sin. I was a drunk. I was an absolute drunk. I was a wreck. And Jesus Christ got a hold of me and he said, I got something better for you, son. Repent of that sin. It is no different. No different. We don't stand up here gay bashing or hating people because of this. We stand up to say, hey, it's sin. Just like all the sins. And you need to repent and you need to get right with God. Because he will change your heart. But there were some other sins in Sodom. Go ahead, let's turn to Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. It's probably a lesser known passage than Genesis 19. But God does give us a little insight to what was going on in Sodom. And I, I got to tell you, it's another one of those, man. I read this again preparing for this week. And I'm like, boy, this, this sounds an awful lot like America today. This sounds like the country we live in right now. We've got to be careful because we know what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. This country, at some point, God may just take His hand of blessing off of us. Maybe it won't be fire and brimstone here. But imagine if God's hand of blessing wasn't on this country anymore. What would it look like? You know, we've been good to Israel for the most part. And God has blessed our country far above and beyond, I'm sure, what our founding fathers ever thought possible. But we're at a critical time. Where the world will be turning its back on Israel, and we're going, to be, we're going to be part of that. Not us. We better not be. But our country I'm telling you, when you, you just think about our country as we read these things. Ezekiel 16, 49, and 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here it comes. Here was the sin. Pride. Feel like we live in a country full of pride? Right? All the sin, all their marches, all their movements, it's pride. It's the pride movement. Isn't it? It's gay pride. It's transgender pride. It's all these things. It's pride. It's pride in who I am. Who you are is a fallen, broken human that needs the blood of Jesus Christ. Pride. Fullness of bread. I'd say we're there too, aren't we? Fullness of bread. What was it? We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, right? That's us. Fullness of bread. We don't want for anything. And an abundance of idleness. Oh my Oh my, an abundance of idleness. If this isn't more prevalent in the world of social media, 
where people have nothing better to do than sit down and look at what everybody else has to say and then throw their two cents into the mix and start arguments back and forth and abundance of idleness because everyone can get real tough behind a keyboard. So they'll say the most heinous and horrid things because they've got nothing better to do. I'll be honest with you, there have been times where I'm reading articles or whatever and then I get stupid and I start looking at the comments and I'm like, nope, I don't have time for that. I don't have an abundance of idleness. I don't have time for that. I can't sit and worry about this and make sure I'm reposting and commenting back to people all day long. I don't have time for it. But unfortunately, boy, we really do. And this was one of the sins of Sodom, an abundance of idleness. It was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And I hear talk of it all the time, right? About how, how bad poverty is in our country. Apparently, they don't, they don't look around the world to see what true poverty is. However, it's true. It's true. There are people here that they don't have enough food to eat. There are people here that don't, that don't have a home. They don't have a place to live. And America likes to talk like it's important with not a whole lot of action. Verse 50, And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Be careful, America. So the other sins of Sodom, pride, pride. Fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. They did not help the poor and needy. It says that they were haughty. And haughtiness means proud and disdainful. Not just proud, but actually just a disdain for other people. That you see yourself above them, having a high opinion of oneself, with some contempt for others, lofty and arrogant. He said that's how it was in Sodom. Does that, does that kind of feel like maybe we live there too? I feel like the, the world we live in right now? It does to me. It does to me when I look around. And then finally, the committed abomination. Abomination is your blank. The committed abomination. Leviticus 18.22 on your paper. He says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. So again, this would line right up with the account in Genesis chapter 19 of that, that open, rampant, unrepentant sin. God said, you don't do this. It's an abomination to me. And again, you know, there are people that want to say that that's hurtful, that that's hateful to say that it's wrong. How dare you tell someone how to live? How dare you tell someone? Love is love. Well, you notice that God says it's an abomination. Now again, right, I'm a Bible believer. I believe what the Bible says. I believe you here believe what the Bible says. Why would this, this sin, why would this be not just sin, but an abomination? What's God's purpose for mankind? I think I heard it. Yeah, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. If you've got mankind lying with mankind, as he would with womankind, how can you replenish the earth? How can you reproduce? It's an abomination because God's plan for mankind was to fill the earth with people that would choose to love, worship, and follow Him. You can't fulfill your designed purpose if you're living this kind of a lifestyle. You can't do it. That's why it's an abomination. 
because it's right in the face of God. I know you created me to do this, but I hate you so much. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what I can to not fulfill what you've created me to do. That's why it's an abomination, not because it's any worse than any other sin. So we know that Lot, as it was in the days of Lot, we know that this is the city that Lot was dwelling in. We didn't have time to work through it. Again, you can read through Genesis and see. But Lot lived in this city, right? It's kind of like us living in the world today. We, we, we got all these things around us, and every day it's pressing against us. But just like Lot, let's turn to 2 Peter 2. I wasn't sure if we were going to, but 2 Peter 2. Just like Lot, who was living in this, this heinous place, who was, who was clearly falling into the sin, we know, because if we keep reading on, we know what happened with his daughters and with him, and it's just, you read it, and you can't even begin to fathom how it's possible. Yet, when you've made the choice to go headlong into Sodom and live there and become part of the city and part of their lifestyle, well, it's not surprising. But here's how God saw him anyway, just like us. 2 Peter 2, 7-9. through 9. It says, And delivered just Lot. Now that doesn't mean only. That means that he was just. He was justified before God. He delivered just Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the, the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. Lot. Lot. Says that he was just. He was a just man. He believed in justice. He performed justice. He was just. Justified before God. But it also says that he vexed himself. He vexed himself. And on your sheet, vexed, it means tortured, harassed, or distressed. He did this to himself by choosing to be there, by choosing to be a part of it. But he was still just. You notice that he didn't lose his salvation. I mean, this guy's in the heart of Sodom. He's at the gate. He's part of the city council. He's part of the workings of this place. Yet, God said he's just. I see that man. He's mine. He's just. But he's vexing himself. And notice this is very, very important. He vexed his righteous soul by two things. What were they? Seeing and hearing. We talked about this last week or two weeks ago. What do we let in? This is how Lot vexed his righteous soul by the things that he looked at and the things that he heard. It doesn't say that he vexed himself by the sin he was committing. It said he vexed himself by what he saw and heard. Man, we live in such a day where things that are so wrong that we see on TV, that we hear in music lyrics, we think it's not that bad because look how bad the world is. That's the devil's plan. He knew. He knew back in Sodom. The things that we see and the things that we hear these are the things that are vexing our souls. That actual committing of the sin, that's just the last step. 
It's been happening inside us for a long time and it finally worked its way out because of the things that we see and hear, the things that we excuse. Because I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Well, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with watching that or listening to that or hearing that? It's the wrong question. That's right. What is right with it? That's the question we got to ask. Not what's wrong with it. What's right with it? The things that he saw and the things that he heard, they vexed him. Which made him the kind of father where his daughters thought it would be okay to sleep with him and have babies to make sure that, you know, he had a family line. They were vexed because they saw all that and they heard it every day. They lived there. And that is the days of Lot. We live in there? We live in there yet? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And then that fire and brimstone, that day of judgment, that fire is coming back. And then finally, go ahead and turn to Matthew 24. We're going to look at this last sign for tonight. Oh no, there's two more. Oh boy. We got this. We got this. Matthew 24. This one shouldn't require a lot of explanation and honestly, neither should the next one. Matthew 24. We have the sign of the young fig tree. The sign of the young fig tree. Matthew 24, verses 32 through 34. Again, this is Matthew 24. These are signs where they asked, what will be the sign of thy coming? How will we know it's the end of the world? How will we know the signs of your coming? And this is one of the things that Jesus says here. 24, verses 32 through 34. He says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So this parable, this parable specifically, of the fig tree, Jesus said to do what? It's in the passage. What did He say to do? Learn it. Learn is your blank. This parable of the fig tree, Jesus said, learn the parable of the fig tree. If you want to do your own, your own time, look up every parable in the Gospels. And you know there's going to be something interesting. Jesus never said to learn a parable. Except this one. I think it's pretty important. It's very key that Jesus would say, hey, make sure you learn this one, this parable of the fig tree. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah 24, verses 1 through 10. Jeremiah 24, 1 through 10. He says, learn the parable of the fig tree. He said, when it's young and it's tender, you know spring's coming. And then he goes on to say, just know that the generation that sees these things is not going to pass till all of them are fulfilled. This fig tree. What is the fig tree? Jeremiah 24, verses 1 through 10. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of what? Figs were set before the temple of the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten 
uh, they were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good. And the evil, very evil. They cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. The context of Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar's coming in. He's taking uh, Judah. He's taking Judah away. And he says, God says, there's two baskets of figs here. You got good figs, you got bad figs. These good figs, it's going to go very well with them when they go with Nebuchadnezzar because their heart is right toward me because God told them, don't fight. Just go and it will be well with you. And there were some who said, okay, I believe you, God. I'll just go. And then there were others who did not that wanted to put up a fight. Verse 6, For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them in heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Those that had a right heart going into Babylon. And as the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword the famine and the pestilence among them till they be consumed off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. So again, you see, these are the people of Israel. These are the people of Israel. And God refers to them as baskets of figs. Baskets of figs. And then don't turn there, but Hosea 9.10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree. At her first time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. Again, he says to Israel, your fathers were like the first ripe figs in a fig tree. So this fig tree, this parable of the fig tree, the fig tree is Israel. It's Israel. And he said when it's, when it's tender, when the leaves are tender, when you're just beginning to see fruit, just know it's close. It's at the doors. On your paper, on May 14, 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn in one day. One day, a proclamation was made. The nation of Israel was reborn after almost 2,000 years in exile. Now, I know we can't wrap our mind around 2,000 years, but I will tell you this. It is impossible for a group of people to be displaced from their homeland for 2,000 years and then regather in that homeland and maintain their integrity as a people. Yet, Israel and the Jews exist today. It's impossible. It's impossible. But God. That's the only explanation the only explanation. And the fact that this nation was born in a day. That's Isaiah 66, 8. You can look that up later. After almost 2,000 years, 
This nation was born again, this fig tree that's now going to have tender leaves and fruit that's just beginning to come on the tree. Jesus said, this generation shall not pass. The generation that sees this sign. 1948, guys. 1948 this happened. He said, the generation that sees it will not pass. So on your paper, a Bible generation can be, and you have references for all these, 40 years, 70 years, 100 years, or 120 years. These all show up as a biblical generation, where it's referred to as a generation. So I'm not setting any dates. I'm just saying that 120 years from 1948 is 2068. That's 50 years from right now. And I know you guys are thinking, yeah, 50 years. <laughs> yeah, he says this generation shall not pass. He doesn't say it's going to be at the end of 120 years. He says it could be any time from the day Israel became a nation again. 2068 in my world doesn't sound that far away. It really doesn't. That's that sign of the young fig tree and this just cropped up during the time of Laodicea. During the time of Laodicea, this happened. 1948. So you know what we know? The clock is in fact ticking. And we know time is short because of everything we looked at last week, because of the signs we've already looked at tonight, and because of what we're going to look at next week. You're going to see there is no doubt that we're in fast forward to the end. And then finally, the last sign we're going to look at tonight, 2 Peter chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. 2 Peter 3. This will be the last time you have to turn. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Another sign that we are living in the last days sign of the times is there will be an increase in scoffers. They'll be deceived by that theory of evolution and they'll even be denying the flood. You guys hear that, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys pay attention. You listen to news or science type stuff. That is like a huge push for them to be denying the worldwide flood. And all this quote-unquote evidence they find to deny the flood. 2 Peter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Right? Do you see where the theory of evolution fits into this? Right? Where's the problem? You Christians have been saying all along he's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. Well, you know, I, I didn't read verse 8. We can. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord... Uh, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So in God's economy of things, Jesus died about two days ago. Guess what? He's coming back soon. He is. But they're saying, you know, you Christians have always been saying that. 
but yet things continue on just as they always have. And it says that willingly, they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the world, in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. This talk of evolution, they're saying they're ignorant of the fact that by the word of God, all this was made. All of it. By the words of his mouth was all of this made. They're ignorant. But you notice they're not just ignorant. What kind of ignorant are they? Willingly. Don't, nope, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. Do you know what the science says? Do you know what the professors say? Do you know what the good scientists say? You're science deniers. That's what's going on. And they're scoffing, scoffing, you people. Religion is just the easy way out because you don't want to put the work in. Faith is easy. I don't know about you, but my faith isn't always easy. I'll tell you that much. And I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that a true evolutionary atheist has far more faith than I do to believe what they believe. Mine is, at least makes sense with the world. Mine actually does have real evidence that backs it up as opposed to evolution where we're grasping at straws because we have no idea. Scoffers. They're people who make fun of others for believing logical, sensible truth. And as I already said, many scientists today, they strive fervently to disprove the worldwide flood account. They twist things all the time. All the time. I remember when we were in, um, when we were in Aruba on our honeymoon, we went to this one place on a, like, a, like a Jeep safari thing, and they took us to this place where these massive rocks were on top of each other. Right? And you're like, but they, it's like they were set there. Like they, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't one rock that became two or three rocks. It's like on top of each other. And they're huge. And I remember our guide saying, yes, uh, this is evidence that, uh, that this island was once flooded. And I'm like, yeah, the whole earth was. Yeah. Of course this island was also underwater. Everything was underwater. It is not mind-blowing to me that these giant rocks are sitting on top of each other when a flood covered the entire planet. Scientists today, though, they think I'm nuts. They think I'm stupid. And I am stupid, but not because of these things. <laughs> it's very different reasons. <laughs> so, kind of a summary of tonight, a closing point, if you will. This time, this time, we covered only five more signs of the times, and we still have several left to go. We'll be going at this next week. It's an incredible, incredible act of love and mercy that God would give us this much knowledge about the time in which we live. God did this for us. As the world descends into chaos and uncertainty, it's high time to awake out of sleep and show them the living hope that we have inside of us. It is midnight in this world, and the day of the Lord is about to dawn. So let's march forward in the pursuit of holiness and cast off the works of the flesh as we press toward the mark of the high calling in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't forget that He's our Lord. He calls the shots. He's the boss. And we know what He's called us to do, so let's do it. We pray with me? Father, again, just we thank You for these, these things that You show us that, that we're wise and we understand, but we're not wise because we're, 
we're that smart, we're wise, because you've put your Spirit inside of us. You've saved us. And that, that Holy Spirit of promise, that guide into all truth, that Spirit of truth that you've given us, that's what makes us wise. Because we read these words and they make sense. We read these words and we believe them because your word is alive. Things that were written 2,500 years ago that only make sense today. Only you, God, only you could make that prediction. No man could. It would be impossible. Yet here we are reading it all this time later taking the roots of our faith and driving them deeper, knowing that you wrote it. And you wrote it for such a time as this, 2018, at the First Baptist Church of Jackson. Oh, Father, let us do something with it. Let us not get fat Bible heads that just know a bunch of stuff. Let it change us. Let it empower us in your spirit to go speak to the lost, to go share that good news, that hope, that we have in You. Lord, we love You. Again, we can't ever thank You enough for the sacrifice that You made, for the price that You paid for us in that Savior, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's His name we pray. Amen.